The following KOPN podcast is made possible by the generous donations of listeners like you. Please consider a donation to listener-supported community radio, KOPN. You can donate securely on our website at kopn.org. Hi, I'm Melinda Hemmelgarn, a registered dietitian and investigative nutritionist on a mission to connect the dots between food, health, and agriculture and find food truth. You are tuned in to Food Sleuth Radio, where we help you think beyond your plate. And today, I am honored to welcome my guest, a fellow registered dietitian, Ms. Judy Simon. She specializes in nutrition counseling for individuals, couples, and families who are interested in reproductive nutrition or fertility counseling, as well as weight management. She is recognized nationally as an expert in nutrition and fertility. The Academy of Nutrition and Dietetics awarded Judy the Excellence in Practice in Women's Health in 2014. And with Dr. Angela Thayer, Judy developed the Food for Fertility program in 2011 at Seattle Reproductive Medicine. Judy served as the president of the Seattle Tacoma Reproductive Society and is past chair of the nutrition sub-interest group of the American Society of Reproductive Medicine. I had the pleasure of hearing her speak at the Academy of Nutrition and Dietetics annual meeting in Washington, D.C. in October of 2018, and I knew I wanted her to be my guest. Judy, welcome. Oh, thank you so much for having me on your show today. Your presentation was really remarkable. Let me back up before we dive into nutrition and fertility, because there's so many topics to talk about. How did you become interested in this field? That's a great question. Well, I share with people that I have my own journey of infertility, and it was about an eight-year journey until we were able to conceive my daughter. And I felt really lost, even though I was a healthcare professional working at a hospital with unexplained infertility. I never knew, like, should I be eating something different? Should I be avoiding something? We don't know what's wrong. And I felt really lost. Mm. And if we fast forward, I'm happy to say I do have some children. I have two wonderful children. But when I fast forward, I've always been really interested in women's health and prenatal and preconception. And when I came back to doing clinic work after I raised my kiddos, I started working with women with polycystic ovary syndrome. So PCOS is one of the main reasons a woman will go to a fertility clinic if she's not ovulating. And I started to work with these patients, these women, about 17 years ago, and I really hadn't learned much about it in my training. So I started to work with reproductive endocrinologists, one of them being Dr. Angela Thayer, even back then, to learn more about this syndrome and how helping a woman with her lifestyle could help her to conceive. And so I think that just kind of, I took off with it, having had my own struggles and journeys, that I really wanted to learn how I could use my skills with medical nutrition therapy and help people build families. Mm, It's so interesting. And one of the points that you made in your talk that I thought was so important was just helping us understand how stressful infertility is for people and the importance of factoring in the stress factor when we're talking about what we can do immediately in our diet and our environment to improve our odds of getting pregnant. 
Absolutely. And I really decided that I needed to jump into the world of fertility and infertility, leave my little safe, you know, nutrition cocoon to understand that, to really understand what were people going through when they were getting a diagnosis, when they were going through treatments. And I quickly learned that infertility can be more stressful than having a a diagnosis of breast cancer, which is hard to believe. So really, it let me have a little bit into that lens from the patient. So I knew that when they were coming to see me, they really wanted answers, they really wanted help, and they wanted to know when and how fast, and you know, what could they do to make a difference so they could start a family. And as we'll talk, I hope, today on the show is over years of working with so many uh, women, more women than men, and I, I really like to work more with men too, I decided to start the Food for Fertility program so that women could feel a sense of community that they weren't alone. They weren't the only one that were going through this infertility challenges. Well, let's dive right into the Food Fertility Program. Tell me what it involves and how you help people through that program. Okay. So a little over, gosh, about seven and a half years ago, I was about five years into uh, starting a private practice where I mainly work with folks with infertility, I would work with the most wonderful women, one after another, and they would share their stories. And they often felt sometimes shame about body size if they were overweight and they were hearing from their doctor, oh, because of your weight, we're not going to be able to do an in vitro procedure. Or if you lost weight, you would be more likely to conceive. And so I would see these women one at a time. And with my health education training, I thought, wow, what if we started classes? What if we started a group, a very safe group, where women could come and instead of just saying, go lose weight, be healthy, we could actually work on it together. So these groups that meet for six weeks, we meet on Saturday mornings, we actually get together very casually. I've I've met with all the women individually, so they've already had a first session with me. We actually come together, we have a fun lesson, we we learn about how can nutrition have a positive impact on fertility, and then we cook whatever our theme is. Maybe it's greens that week and we make kale salad or we make a soup. Or So we actually cook, we learn, we do some meal planning, and we set goals. We set realistic goals that they want to work on, and then at the end of the hour and a half session, we go take a walk, no matter what the weather is. If it's raining or sunny, we stretch together in movement. So instead of just telling these women, go get healthy so you can try to get pregnant, we built this very safe community where they could learn and they could experience it. And I just asked the last group that just graduated, what was a takeaway from the class? And they all said mindfulness. We learned to try and taste so many new things that we now make at home, but they love the idea that they could be mindful, that they never had to feel shame about what they were eating or their body size, but they could feel really positive about things they were doing and and feel a little bit more in control. Where often in fertility, you don't feel like you have any control at all. Yeah. You know, you mentioned weight loss, and I think that's such an important point to talk about because it doesn't take much weight loss, does it? And you shared a study that was fascinating about exercise versus diet. Oh, I think it was Dr. Thyer did, right. Dr. Thyer, right. You were Mm -hmm. co-presenting. Yes. And I thought, okay, first of all, it didn't take much weight loss. Mm -hmm. Was it 5%? Oh, 5% or less. 5% or less. That's not that much. Right. And what we've started doing in the classes is 
we don't even check weight. We just work on healthy lifestyle. And then when I check in with the women at the end of the class, they might be, oh, you know what? I set them scale. I didn't even realize I lost 10 pounds. Exactly. Um, so not making it feel like they're on a diet. So really what's happening with a lot, one of the major reasons women may suffer with infertility is they're not ovulating regularly. Perhaps they have PCOS or they have prediabetes. So making some lifestyle changes over two or three months, we often have women who spontaneously conceive during class that we're actually preparing to have an IVF cycle. Wow. And that happens probably every class. Out of the 10 or 12 women, one or two were like, oh, we had that frozen embryo and we were going to transfer it. I just wanted to lose a little bit more weight and get healthy. And I actually conceived. And I go, well, look at all the great things you've been doing for your body. And I think when they realize that the lifestyle changes we're working on are for healthy for everyone, they're not something that's any different, you know, for someone with fertility. So it gets to be a lot more realistic. Mm -hmm. Um, Another nice thing we do, I try not to leave out the men, but if they have male partners, I invite them to join us on the walks. And we do things like have monthly classes and sometimes we'll invite male partners. But the women sort of like the sisterhood of being with women. Oh, I'm sure. And I'm sure it helps reduce stress. I don't know if you're measuring cortisol levels, but just having that group therapy has to be beneficial. It does, because each week they actually, we kind of go around the room and we just talk about how things are going. And then they each, everybody helps each other out. Like, I've had a tough week because of this. I feel really great about that. So you're right. So that's definitely the social support. And I know both Dr. Thayer and I mentioned that during our talk, that when you're making lifestyle changes, feeling supported is really, really helpful and being successful and feeling good about it. And you've got the buddy system going on with regard to the group exercise. So it's easier to partake in exercise. And they chat and they're like, wow, we just walked 30 minutes. Normally I would never go out and take a walk for 30 minutes. It was great. I really enjoyed it. And a lot of the women end up walking together and some of them even take runs together as they start making friends or thinking about, hey, I could be doing this with my friend more with my partner more. So yeah, we we definitely do that. I encourage them to look into fertility yoga classes and other things where they can do enjoyable movement because some of the women that are larger are really uncomfortable going to a gym. Right. Absolutely. And I also wanted to bring forth, and maybe it was Dr. Thayer, both of you spoke Mm -hmm. about so many of these concepts together, but the idea that just a little bit of physical activity every day really did improve fertility rates. It does. It does. And so we tell people you don't have to join a gym, but movement, strength, all those things that can help to decrease some inflammation can really make a difference metabolically. Many of the women have prediabetes, PCOS, and they decrease their insulin resistance, which improves their hormone balance. So their testosterone levels go down and that helps them to be able to ovulate and have a healthy pregnancy. That's wonderful. And I should bring up the point that you made in your talk about how, yes, it's important that we focus on women's health. Absolutely. Women are the carriers of the children. Mm -hmm. But a healthy diet also improves sperm quality. Absolutely. And I feel like men have been left out of the equation so often. So I encourage women, even if it's a female, you know, defined issue, I really encourage them, you know, to bring their male partner. And a lot of times they give me a thumbs up, like, yeah, my semen analysis was good. 
Well, those semen are definitely, their sperm are definitely a reflection of their health. And there's been several studies that have come out in the last year showing, number one, sperm quality and number is going down, which is causing more infertility. But when men have more metabolic issues, so high cholesterol, hypertension, prediabetes, weight issues, that has a negative impact on their sperm. And some think, well, I have millions of sperm, so if I have a few less, not a big deal. But it does have an impact on success for fertility. So even if it's a female-identified diagnosis, right. the healthier the sperm is. So even if it's in vitro fertilization with ICSI, one sperm, you want it to be the healthiest sperm. So I always include, and if she doesn't bring her partner, I have a whole page on male health. We probably actually even have some better data on nutrition for men with fertility because men are constantly producing sperm. So you can make a change in their diet, in their lifestyle, in their weight, and you can study the quality of their sperm. Yeah, that's Whereas fascinating. Women come with one set of eggs. Yeah. Yeah, so a little, a little different there. So men can improve the quality of their sperm, and that makes a difference whether it's a male or female issue. Yeah. Well, we should go through some of the dietary recommendations that you have, because okay. I think that they really help everyone. Let me just take one break before we dive into the specifics to remind everyone that if you're just joining us, you are tuned into Food Sleuth Radio. We are speaking with a fertility expert, Ms. Judy Simon. She is a fellow registered dietitian. She is recognized nationally as an expert in nutrition and fertility. She is based in Seattle, Washington. Well, one of the things that surprised me was how important and what an impact certain tweaks to our diet could make. So one of the things was vitamin D. A lot of us have low vitamin D levels. And is it no surprise, we spend a lot of time inside behind screens. And especially if we live at latitudes, I believe it's above South Carolina, we are prone to be more deficient in vitamin D. How much do you recommend and how does it improve fertility exactly? Oh, those are good questions. So if I'm working with someone and they have no idea what their vitamin D level is and they've never had a check, they have no idea, I'll tell them as I'm in Seattle and we're definitely folks that need vitamin D supplementation, yeah. I'll tell them it's incredibly safe to take a minimum of 2,000 IUs of vitamin D. It might not be enough, but it's definitely safe. I recommend that all the women I work with are on a prenatal supplement. There's usually a little bit of vitamin D in there. And most of the clinics that I'm working with are routinely doing a baseline screening on vitamin D. Yeah. It's really important for women with PCOS and prediabetes. We have found that their needs are even higher. So we may tell the general population to be at 30 to 35 for their vitamin D levels. And recent research that I heard at the fertility conference was that if a woman's BMI is 45 and she has PCOS, that's how high we want her vitamin D level to be. So sometimes we're putting women on 5,000 IUs a day, or sometimes we're also doing a high dose weekly to get her vitamin D up. So what it has to do with fertility is if a woman has any insulin resistance, there are vitamin D receptors in all of our reproductive organs. And so we want wow. to make sure that there's adequate vitamin D. It's not being sequestered in their fat. Yeah. And we've also seen with men the same thing, vitamin D. When a, a male is replete with vitamin D, he has better quality sperm. So wow. definitely a really exciting area. Yeah. 
But the biggest impact is those people who are deficient, when they bring up their levels to be replete, receive probably the most bonus. Right. Yes, I remember you saying that mm-hmm. if you are, right. if you're not deficient, it's right. not going to make a difference. But it might if, not make a difference. But for those women who are men and women who are deficient, so we want to make sure they're not deficient. Right. That's a really easy fix. It not is. too many food sources. Yeah. Exactly. Okay. Let's talk about soy because everybody worries about soy because mm-hmm. you hear these. It's got phytoestrogens or plant estrogens in it. Mm-hmm. Does soy affect fertility? Well, there's actually been some really good studies. My colleague, Jorge Chavarro at Harvard, has looked at both in the Nurses' Health Study data and in the Earth Study intervention, which is an international study where they're following couples that are going through IVF and they're looking at environmental exposures and food intake. And both for men and women, they've actually found benefits. They've actually found improved pregnancy outcomes mm. with people who eat more soy. So that kind of general thing, be afraid of soy, is not true in the fertility world. So for both men and women. So what I recommend is natural sources of soy, edamame, tofu, tempeh, you know, not a lot of process. And in PCOS specifically, for those women with polycystic ovary syndrome, we've actually seen improvement in metabolic markers, like insulin levels and blood sugar and cholesterol. So I do not think it's something to be afraid of. And I have a lot of patients who could benefit from getting some more plant protein in their diet, so I actually recommend it. Oh, that's fantastic. Well, along those same lines of little tweaks we can do to our diet, you mentioned the EARTH study, and I want to go to that because I've got this on my list as an absolute definite to talk about. Okay. Tell me about the EARTH study and tell me about environmental contaminants that can make a difference in fertility. This is a really hot area in the fertility world because, you know, right now we don't have any government guidelines on exposure to things like bisphenol A or BPA that you see on our water bottles. Yeah. And in fact, a couple of years ago, the government took BPA. It's no longer allowed to be in baby bottles, okay, but it can be everywhere else. And so Earth study is a multi-nation study where they are following couples going through in in vitro fertilization and looking at exposure. So they're able to look at blood markers for things like phthalates and BPA. And what they're finding is that people who have higher blood levels of BPA are also having increased amounts of infertility. So we're definitely concerned there. And I think what's really confusing for all of us is people like, well, what is it in? What should I avoid? I had the pleasure of speaking with Patricia Hunt, who is a a major toxicologist from Washington State University, who studies human exposure to environmental endocrine-disrupting chemicals. And what she has showed us on a number of occasions is when we are exposed to things like BPA plastics, it's a chemical that hardens plastics. It not only can affect our reproductive health, but it carries on two more generations. Yeah. And so there's really quite an environmental impact on our health. So I try to be as practical as possible with my patients. I mean, when you're a fertility patient, it's overwhelming. You might be following a protocol of medication or shots for a cycle you're in, and then you're in a group to try to reduce stress, and then maybe you're seeing me for nutrition, and then someone tells you, oh my gosh, you have to look at all the packaging of everything you eat out of. It can be really overwhelming. So what I try to simplify is take some of those findings from these studies, like how can we decrease BPA in our daily lives? 
So I encourage men and women to use glass jars rather than plastic or steel, you know, just for their drinking every day. Right. And really important is that they avoid cooking in plastic containers. So yes, your container might say no BPA or BPA-free, but you don't want to heat up food in that. Right. And there's so many like dinners, microwavable dinners in plastic. Right. So I try to have them decrease their exposure to plastic, especially the containers. I go, you know, keep dishes or ceramics at work that you can just literally dump out your leftovers and heat them up. Use less plastic and do not reuse the water bottles that are meant to be used once. BPA is also in the lining of cans, okay? And what's really confusing now is you can see a lot of cans that now say, oh, BPA-free lining, but they're using another bisphenol. It might not be bisphenol A, but it might be like bisphenol S. Right. And companies are not required to put on the label what they put in their can. Right. So I encourage patients when possible to try to buy things, if they're buying things from a shelf, to buy them in glass or in the Tetra boxes. So at some stores, you can buy like tomatoes in boxes or in jars. But I also don't want them to make themselves crazy that they can never eat out again in a restaurant or something. Do you know what I mean? Like try to do the practical things at home to decrease their exposures. Every little step matters, but I think starting with just raising awareness about these chemicals is so important. And even during pregnancy and for little children, the research I've seen says that Mm -hmm. we don't want people exposed to these unnecessarily. On the same line of BPA, you mentioned phthalates, which are another compound that we find. They're a plasticizer. They're found in plastics. And the American Society of Reproductive Medicine even mentioned them. Yeah, so we're trying to decrease them anywhere in in the life cycle. They have been shown to decrease fertility, alterations in sperm, decrease testosterone levels, even seeing a little bit higher rates of anatomical changes in uh, infant boys Yes, based on exposure to their moms. So what I tell patients, because there isn't such an easy place to find the information, I tell them with cleaning products and with body care products to try to go as simple and natural as possible using vinegar and water and baking soda and just products that are more natural to try to maybe use essential oils instead of perfumed products. There's a lot of grocery stores, I don't know if we can name names, you know, even things like, you know, Whole Foods or something where you can go in the natural section and find a reasonably priced products to use for cleaning or for cosmetics to decrease their exposure to a lot of these endocrine disruptors. I recommend anything that's fragrance-free. Yes, that's, yes. that's good start. Yeah, that's one place where we know we can find phthalates is with fragrances. Absolutely. Um, yeah, I want to talk about another component of the Earth Study that you mentioned, and that oh, had yeah. to do with pesticide residues oh, yeah. reducing fertility. Yes. And again, you know, we think even what we're told by the industry mm-hmm. is that, oh, don't worry about the residues. They're within limits. And, who's, and then you have to ask questions like, well, who sets the limits? But the fact that we have good data now showing that at least in the IVF population, pesticide yeah, residues lowers fertility, right. that's huge. Right. It is huge. And if I'm seeing a woman who's 43 years old and she's spending a lot of money on her last chance IVF. And she says to me, what is everything I could possibly do before this next cycle? And then I will say to her, well, we do have data 
that women who were eating two or more servings of high pesticide fruits or vegetables a day had lower IVF success, I think it would be worthwhile to try to do more organic or pesticide-free or lower pesticide fruits and vegetables because the benefits are so high of fruits and vegetables. I don't want to scare people. We need those antioxidants. They're so helpful for conception. So I don't want to scare them away, but like where we live in the state of Washington, it's so easy to get organic local apples all year round or potatoes. And so I try to go through what are they doing now and help them to use more local and organic fruits and vegetables if that's realistic for them. But that was pretty impressive data. And there has been some studies also, and this one's showing that the males that had the higher intake of pesticides did have reduction in sperm quality. So there's some links. We need a lot more study, but definitely this is a start. And I think it's like you said, it's it's bringing attention to it. I just don't want to bring fear of eating healthy foods. Do you know what I mean? I want to have that balance. Absolutely. We just have a few minutes left yes. and I have a long list of more topics. Okay. Let me ask you first and foremost, yes. where can people go to learn more about all of the things that you're talking about and your program? Oh, that's a good question. Well, they're certainly welcome to come to my website, which is um, mindbodynutrition.com. And I do have some links. I have definitely information about food for fertility and some links on nutrition and fertility. I think we need to have a lot more out there. And I'm really pleased to see American Society for Reproductive Medicine definitely this last conference, I think we must have had 10 sessions on nutrition, and they really promote nutrition research. So there is also some information at the American Society of Reproductive Medicine and some on the ACOG, which is the um, OBGYN organization website too, both about environmental impacts and nutrition. Okay, that sounds great. Well, I'm going to selfishly ask a question, although I sure. probably should let you leave us with just a, a few last minute messages, but I'm really interested in caffeine and alcohol. And I'm interested in that because I think there is a halo effect around red wine in particular. And drinking coffee, gosh, I don't even have to tell you about Seattle, right? Right. But coffee and alcohol are two major components of our cultural eating habits. What do you tell women about those two ingredients? We spoke about it. I was actually with several experts at American Society of Reproductive Medicine. And to be really honest, the research on caffeine is really not clear. There's been a few studies that have shown that it slows down time to conception and others that show no impact at all. And it probably has a little bit more impact on men than women. So I usually ask how much are they drinking and maybe ask them to dial it back a little bit, but we really don't have great data on it. And when it comes to alcohol, I would say that the tricky part for women is we always recommend that, you know, we don't know a safe alcohol level once you're pregnant. And some of our women that are going through fertility, you know, it's so long, they don't know when they are. So we really haven't seen any benefits yet from red wine. I'm just kind of cautious for women. If they're the part of their cycle that could be pregnant, I would more recommend to avoid it. And with men, we don't recommend excess alcohol. More than two or three drinks a day could actually slow down the fertility. Marijuana is also not good for fertility, in case really? you were wondering. 
Yep, marijuana, definitely, we're studying at the University of Washington that it definitely has some negative impacts. So we screen for that because it is legal in the state of Washington. Right. People smoke a lot of marijuana and it doesn't make sperm any healthier. Wow. Unfortunately, we have not found that out. Yeah. So that's one. Well, Judy, we are going to have to close because our time is up. But I want to tell you how much I appreciate your expertise. I want to thank our listeners for joining us. I want to remind everyone that Food Sleuth Radio is produced by Dan Hemmelgarn at KOPN Studios in beautiful downtown Columbia, Missouri. Most of all, I want to thank my guest, Ms. Judy Simon. She is a fellow registered dietitian with a specialty in nutrition counseling with reproductive nutrition, and she is known nationally as an expert in nutrition and fertility. Thank you, Judy. Thank you so much, Melinda. 